0: We are back for another episode of the Freewheeling Podcast. Had a little bit of a hiatus last week, but we're back. And we're going to dish up some double episodes this week for the tour of Norway, the, the ladies tour of Norway. Before we get going, my name is Abby Mickey, and I am, per usual, joined by Lauren Rowney.
1: Lauren, hello. Good morning, everyone. We've got a fifth member as well joining, but you can't quite hear him today.
0: You might hear him make some mewing noises. noises squawk
2: <laughs> babies don't squawk anyway
0: <laughs> amy jones amy hello how are you
2: hi did you see me take a tactical drink of water before you started introducing people so you didn't go to me first
0: i did see that i did yeah <laughs> greasy elvin welcome back Good day. yes <laughs> And before we dive into everything we're talking about from the track Olympics to the tour of Norway, this episode is brought to you by Zwift. With Zwift not living near or having access to good roads for proper or safe training is no longer a problem. You can ride in the safety of your own home on a variety of different roads from their very first world of Watopia to the newest addition to the Zwift planet, Makuri Island. Zwift has mountains, dirt, flats, underwater landscapes without even leaving the house. Well, I hope you're not riding underwater landscapes in your house like in your house or anywhere near your house that would be i feel like that's a bad idea i personally have been utilizing this new feature that when you open zwift you can like choose a route from wherever world you're in and it tells you if you've done that route or not so i've been working all the way through all the routes that i've never done it's a nice little challenge to myself to get them all done so check out zwift it's the most amazing i think we're all five Four? Why can't I count? Well, I mean, five. We're all five fans of Zwift. (laughs) Thank you so much to Zwift for sponsoring this episode. All right, so let's dive into the talking points. Track. We had the Olympic track over the week and some really, really exciting races. Where should we even start? I mean, I'm not really super track uh, knowledgeable. Raise your hand if you know anything about track. I think starting with the TP would be awesome. Okay, let's start with the TP. Yeah, and it was one of the first events, so why not? (laughs) Won by Germany with GB and the USA in second and third. Okay, amazing ride by Germany. They're like breaking records over there. I mean, their team was incredible. They rode incredibly well. I think that Great Britain was the team to beat when it came to this event, and Germany did Wow. I mean, they were incredible. They were amazing. Yeah. Did they break the world record three yeah, times? Yeah. I think they broke it in the qualifying and then they
3: broke, yeah, they definitely broke it m- multiple times. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. And it wasn't just by like point nothing. It was by six seconds from the previous world record from 2016.
1: Yeah. I think. Yeah. That's right. And the for me, the most interesting thing or observation at least was, you have, like, GB in Australia um, and the USA who are, like, their team is consistent of pure track riders, right? You don't have crossover so much from trackies to road, but the German team, I think three members of them or even all of them race the road. So definitely, like, Mika Kruger yeah. has a professional contract, uh, Lisa Brenoir, of course, and then Lisa Klein, um, So they went on the road and the track. And so for me, that was quite an interesting thing that I think we could could discuss a little bit. That was definitely something I noticed straight up was most of
3: the trackies in all the different countries were so focused on this one event and Germany wiped the floor with everyone and they had, you know, most of their team doing full-time road as well so that is yeah because i mean
1: lease both leases and even mika they had a full spring like a full the whole six months of the the first part of the season they were very present and i mean we we've spoken and they don't just do it for conditioning like they do good in those yeah i mean (laughs) lisa Brenoir has been on fire this year i think we've discussed that she she has, um, I don't know if it's so much a new coach, but she's working with um, Daniel Healy, who is, um, he lives in Germany. He's married to a former professional cyclist. And um, it seems like that partnership is working really well. And I don't know if he has any involvement with the track team, but there's something that they've been doing that's right. And like Germany, again, none of us are track know-it-alls, but they were never a team that's ever been on my radar, like they compete in the Olympics, but it's not someone that you say would say beforehand is, is going to go out and smash the world record three times and then take gold. Like they won it from start to finish, didn't they? Yeah. They've definitely been getting stronger every year. We've seen that
3: in the kind of world cup and world Champs level, but you certainly wouldn't have said that they were in the favorites in the top two or three. So yeah, definitely surprising. I think. <laughs>
0: I feel like it's worth mentioning also like Lisa Klein was racing on the road up. We we talk about Lisa Brenauer a good amount because she's really been having a good year. We talked about her when it came to the road race as well. But um, Lisa Klein was winning on the road up to, you know, mid-July. She won the Balawas Ladies Tour. She won both the prologue and the time trial in that race, um, which was only, you know, a month less than a month three three weeks before the olympics so she was sometimes when riders do kind of dabble in road and track as well they'll like focus on track in the year leading up to the olympics we kind of see that a little bit with amy peters i think uh she races a lot on the road but when it comes to or jolene Dehore, i guess more when it comes to racing on the track when it's an olympic year that kind of takes precedent over the road but lisa klein was winning for canyon sram like weeks before the olympics which is really really impressive i mean i i don't know if it helps in terms of endurance or in terms of you know i mean bike handling and stuff we can talk about that when it comes to the omnium and gen but yeah it was really it was really cool to see germany get this medal
2: what I find really interesting is like these the, the German squad like you know, the others train together day out. Um like they know each other really well, like that's their own job, really, is to train this team pursuit. Whereas the German squad, like we were just talking about, they come from like disparate road teams as well. So it's not as if they're like as they shouldn't by in theory be tightening like so that's even more immersive as well like the communication of that stuff that you need they nailed it and they don't even like you know spend as intense period of time together as the others
0: yeah if you kind of switch focus from the German team over to the British team they've got you know Katie Archibald Katie Archibald and Laura Kenny, who are both just legends of track cycling, Eleanor Barker, Josie Knight, The their team is just, you know, all focused purely on the track. And they do – I think GB is known very well for having – just all of them live together. The US does the same thing. The US does exactly the same thing. They all live at the Olympic Training Center in, in Colorado Springs, the US team, and they live there for years, 2 years leading up to the Olympics and they train together, every single day is spent together. GBD GB kind of does the same thing where all of them, you know, live very close together. They have these specialized camps where they all, you know, gather together and train really hard. And so i think when it comes to i don't know it's 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 kind of a bummer for them those two teams that spent so much time and effort like focusing on this one event and and fell short to a team that kind of assembled last minute or not last minute but definitely didn't put in the same amount of year long years long effort that the other teams did but Yeah,
3: no, I I definitely back you up on that. I feel sorry for the countries that, um, you know, have to sacrifice, the the individuals I mean that have to sacrifice their whole lifestyle, really. Like the Aussies are no different. A lot of riders over the years have had to relocate to Adelaide in Australia because that's where our track program is based. And they don't, a lot of them don't love it there and they have to, um, you know, make a home there figure out who they want to live with or whatever and their their training schedule is highly controlled they're not just together once a day they're probably together two three times a day and their breaks are few and far between and i think the um postponement of these games just that extra year of slugging it out has really affected some of these these riders who are not in their preferred environments and yeah i do feel really sorry for them to come away with not the gold medal or not a medal at all after they've put in, you know, five years but more really of, of being in an environment that they don't love but it was worthwhile because, you know, they thought that they were on track for the, these results.
1: Do you think as well, just going off that point, Gracie, like if you look at the Australian track team, we have... Um, a few writers in there, so Nettie Edmondson, Georgia Baker and Ashley Akudinoff, who have represented Australia before. So basically they've gone through two cycles and, like you said, that's like nine years now with that extra year on there. They're not young spring chickens. They're not like 20-year-olds who have just come into the system and it's all new being in that sort of bubble. So I don't know. Maybe it's worked against them to just be so regimented and... Um, yeah, having to train together every single day. Um, we all know we've all been cyclists that sometimes it's good to just have your space. You don't need to to have someone constantly looking over your shoulder and measuring every single thing you're doing. That that's kind of the point that I was trying
0: to get to. I think is that it's having having a team that comes together. Kind of all of them have their own goals um, in other aspects of the sport, and they come together and. This is kind of like, of course, it's not for fun. Like they absolutely went out there and did incredible things on the track, but they also they they're they've got their eyes on other things, you know. It wasn't like the be all end all for them. And then you've got two teams where it is the be all end all, and it's so important for them to get a medal. And and the the pressure, especially with the extra year, that would have done a little bit of mental that would have been a little bit more mentally taxing than say for the German team. And, um, the, the ability to kind of pivot is something that I think like the GB team, for example, doesn't strike me as a team that's, that was able to pivot really quickly from having the Olympics last year to having the Olympics this year. And perhaps that's why we saw what we saw. Jumping from the team pursuit into my my favorite track event, the Madison, because of the sheer chaos. I mean, at any given point, you can't tell who's winning. You can't tell what's going on. It's just complete chaos. Like it only occurred to me watching it this time that it has to do with points and it's not whoever crosses the line first, which is kind of an obvious thing <laughs> when you <laughs> actually think about it.
3: <laughs> and how about having a job as the pointer of like seeing who's in the lead balls? Yeah
0: hard pass <laughs> that would be so hard guys
1: i think though to be fair gp made it pretty obvious who was winning in this Madison. they just like, swept from... the floor with everybody it was incredible yeah. they were so one good. word is like master yeah
0: mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> this was kind of a situation where you you watched them racing and you were like okay yeah you do need to live together to be able to do something like this i mean When do you ever know where your where your teammate is at any given point and like grabbing each other's grabbing each other's hands while going very fast around like you know the the tracks, they're slanted, you know? It's just crazy. (laughs) This event is so crazy. I felt so bad for the Australians who got tangled up in multiple crashes. I mean, and we saw a lot of Kapeki go down as well, or at least get stuck behind a crash. There was so many crashes, which when you look at this event you're like, yes, of course there were crashes, <laughs> riders everywhere. But GB yeah. were amazing, and Denmark yeah. were also really impressive with Amelie Diedrichs and, and uh, Julie Leth. And they, they were they were not equally as impressive. No one equally, was as equally as impressive, but the Madison was great. I'm super glad they added this to the Olympics. This is the
3: first time, the first time there's ever been a women's Madison. Yeah I Mm -hmm. think it's a really nice contrast because track cycling you could say is quite a controlled environment and and a bit purist in the sense that you know a kilometer is a kilometer and a lap is a lap and all that stuff so to have this chaotic element included into track cycling like it kind of brings across like you know like the feelings that you get from road cycling and even mountain biking of unpredictability it just it's nice for spectators really and you just never know who's going to get the medal at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, that's true because if you look at um, the start of the race, I was like, oh, man, what's Denmark doing? I really had hopes for them to get a medal. And then obviously their their tactics worked out at the end. They came home so strong and ended up with the silver. But you just, like you said, Gracie, other than GB, who just won pretty much every sprint, um, usually like teams can start out so strong at the start um, and then really fade at the end if the tactic is to take a lap or something like that by one of the teams that are more, say, not endurance-based, but that's like a strength of theirs. So I don't know. It's um, it's a really cool event. I would love to do something like that. But um, the chaos of it, the crashing, it's – I mean, I haven't watched too many Madisons. I don't know if this was a more of a messy event, but some of the crashes look like they could have been sort of – the women have been racing
3: medicines for quite a while now, but I think because of COVID, they haven't had the chance to practice for a little while recently. And I think that definitely added to the chaos at the Olympic Games. They didn't have mm. as many World Cup level events to practice and, and nail their tactics, and and to know what the tactics were for other countries as well. You kind of you can predict how GB or Denmark or whoever. Plays their cards. Whereas I think a lot of these girls were going in a little bit blind, I guess, because you haven't seen each other race for so long now. You had to just make it up as you went along.
2: I think the bunch of races on the track, like you were saying, Gracie, like, they're just everything that's exciting about watching racing. It's like, and it's easy to, to watch. Like, it's the kind of thing that like organizers try. I mean, we always talk about how exciting circuit races are because. As a spectator because you're in one place but you do the race multiple times like it's fast it's exciting and that's what track is when the bunch race is like that's kind of what i i, I can watch a team pursuit i guess it's like a bit nail biting when it's coming down to the wire but the bunch races like the madison the omnium events are where it really gets exciting and yeah i guess just now we we're talking about you know oh maybe having a a track squad, a national track squad where they all live together is not ideal, like, you don't need it and then Laura Kenny and Katie Archibald just proved us wrong on that point. So,
3: but they, they were did wearing say, fluoro helmets, so that would have helped. Well, yeah, that'll do for
2: visibility. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, like, I think they, Laura Kenny, or, well, one of them said afterwards that they were focused on this event, so, and they were, I think they said they were training with the junior boys or something like i can't remember but they definitely put their eggs in the madison basket for this games i think so yeah i mean it worked out
1: yeah that's going back to gracie's point about um if you haven't really trained for this event then you can't you can't really simulate it unless yeah you are training with a bunch of say junior boys you can simulate that kind of racing so that's not surprising actually but well, yeah, because they haven't had, like
2: you're saying, I think there's been like one track world cup since 2019 or something, or there's been the world championships at the start of last year, where Laura Kenny crashed, like she did in the Omnium. Actually, we'll go on to the Omnium. Probably won't be, so I'll shut up. <laughs> yeah, we can move,
0: we can move on to the Omnium. I think the one of the most interesting things about watching the Madison is it 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 makes you think, man, I should watch more track racing and yeah this event is kind of we we're constantly thinking about how we can get cycling to be more marketable how can we get cycling to actually like make make some money and track is the perfect example i mean they have stadium they have a stadium they have stands where they can sell tickets and the it's not exactly hard to film a track event it's just a circle it's really interesting that i just said i don't watch track a ton but Uh, watching it you're like why why not why don't i watch track because it's, it's so exciting and it's really really easy to watch you're not wondering what's around the next corner or anything but it's just as exciting as watching a road race anyway personal rant we can move on to the omnium which was hectic to say the least it started out with the scratch race they changed the format from rio so they took out all the timed events they had four mass start races in one day which is kind of bonkers if you think about how much effort goes into each of the races and the fact that they had to do them back to back to back to back so the scratch race was the first event of the day and it was won by jen valente which kind of put her you know above everyone points wise from the start um because a ton of people crashed there was a lot of Capecchi went down laura kenny went down eliza balzamo went down a lot of the top riders who were picked as favorites for the win at the end of the Omnium crashed early on. In the tempo race, Capecchi took herself out. She, she pulled the plug, which um, we definitely don't see that from Laura Capecchi ever. She's so tough. So just kind of a a window into how hard they really went down. Which I mean, when you crash on the track, you crash really hard, and a lot of them crashed in that scratch race crash. So
1: that was kind of how how the omnium. Um, I think yeah, when we were messaging the week, uh, we were talking about the omnium, and originally when it was introduced, I sort of looked at it almost as like the pentathlon in track and field. It was like a really well-rounded event with um, different timed events. So you had to be, again, a well-rounded athlete who could sprint time trial and do the bunch races. So, But now they they changed the format for basically viewership to, to make it more exciting for people to watch. I mean, having four bunch start events in one day is pretty intense. And if you think about it, some of those riders or well, actually probably all of them i don't know did um did the winner do the madison yeah, as well? no she
0: did uh she did do the madison actually i think i'll double check
1: okay so yeah a few of the athletes did do all three events so they were in the tp they're in the madison and then to line up and do the omnium and when i looked at the schedule i was thinking nah this can't be right like it can't all fall on the last day so I think there would have been definitely some tired legs there playing into it, but, I mean, if she did line up and do all three events, yeah. then she was, yeah, in the same boat as, I think, half who's, of the riders. Who's that? Um,
0: Jen Valente. Uh, okay. she, yeah, she did the Valente. Madison with uh, Megan Jastrab, actually, my old teammate. Well, I've been teammates with both of them, but, yeah, the two of them together, that's a pretty fierce pair, actually. They did, they had the... The four races in one day, which I thought actually they succeeded in making it a very, very exciting race to watch because you didn't have to, you know, bookmark it and come back the next day and try to remember what happened the day before. It was just kind of like boom, 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 which, you know, was really entertaining. Laura Kenny won the tempo race. I'd never heard of that before this, but it's, um, it, it was interesting to watch. The elimination is one of my favorites, um, and that one was fascinating to watch. Laura Kenny, who was hands down the favorite going into the Omnium as someone who was going to win, um, she really messed up the elimination, which is according to the commentators her number one event. Yeah, but she just like found herself right at the back at the wrong time and. The interesting thing about the elimination is you think oh how hard can it be to not be last wheel when they ring the bell well sometimes someone will sprint around you and you'll be like i'm safe and then all of a sudden you're out i mean we saw uh kirsten wield was cut pretty early and she was so mad
2: <laughs> yeah it's because you go if you go to the bottom where it's easier you're in trouble because you can't go around anyone so if those people come over the top you're just exposed. But yeah, that's really exciting to watch. Abby, you're getting into it. We're going to see
1: you at the next six-day event.
0: Isn't the six days fixed? Yes, in Ghent.
1: Yeah, a little bit. I don't know about the women's, definitely the men's, but um, six-day in Ghent is still going.
0: That would be super fun.
2: Road trip to Lawrence gaff.
0: The last of the four events was the points race, and afterwards, Jen Valente walked away with the overall win uh with yumi kajihara in second from japan really awesome to see like hometown girl on the podium um she, i'm pretty sure she was the world champion like she's real good she's mm-hmm. real good kirsten wheeled in third and she was absolutely thrilled with that result but overall it was a really incredible omnium and i just can't say i mean we'll get to olivia later in the podcast but for Jen Valente to take this win after the last couple years that she's gone through, her and Kelly were super close. And you could see how emotional she was after she won. Uh, the team pursuit did not go the way that they wanted it to. They were really, really hoping for gold. And to end up with the bronze medal again for like the third Olympic cycle in a row was a huge disappointment for the U.S. Um, I mean,. They they were amazing, and they should be proud of themselves. And I think they are to some extent. But when you're that good, you kind of are like, well, it's gold or nothing, you know, and the other two medals are a consolation prize. For Jen going into the Omnium, I mean, of course she wanted to win. I don't think that she would have sat there the week before and been like, yeah, I'm going to win this event, like Chloe Dygart does when she's going into a race. But for her to win, I mean, it was it was so... I, I cried. I think a lot of people cried. Um it's been a really hard year for Jen, multiple years for Jen. So this is kind of there's a lot. There was a lot behind this win than more than just, you know, the training and uh and the time spent away from home and everything. It was yeah. I and I'm rambling now, but you get my point. It was very it was special.
2: Yeah, change, here's a question. Has Chloe Daggett had a good Olympics or not? Uh, I mean, I would say no.
0: <laughs> um, I would say no because she went into the Olympics saying out loud that she was going to win a gold medal of every event she entered, which, hey, if you have that kind of confidence in yourself, that's amazing. Good on you. Couldn't be um, But... The But your goals are also laid out there for everyone to see, which means when you get only one bronze medal, it's kind of easy to be like, yeah, that would be called a bad Olympics for her. On the other hand, she had a nearly career-ending injury at the World Championships in Imola, like not even a year ago, one year ago, almost a year ago. And for her to come back and even race at the top level and get a bronze medal is pretty impressive.
2: Yeah. That'll
0: do it, yeah. cover all
1: the bases. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I think yeah, that yeah,
0: yeah.
3: She, you could tell she was struggling massively. She was often holding her bad leg. She's, you know, had other injuries in the past too that probably would have, you know, been factoring in. And we we see her as this young, cocky American, but I'm sure she has her own struggles behind closed doors and to be so vulnerable and to say, I'm going to go for gold in everything I can, like, you can easily see it as being like okay mate but I don't know I hope I hope she it feels okay post games and she has good support behind her because that is a big come down for anyone but in her position I think you know that's a big fall and she was successful she did not have great performances like she should have if she didn't have that injury but Still impressive.
1: Yeah, and I think a coach, Gary Sutton, in an interview probably two months ago had said that, you know, Chloe is Chloe again. She's coming back. But he had even said himself she wasn't quite at the level that she had been before, which is to be expected. Her, her injury injury was horrific mm-hmm. and, like, the rehabilitation was, was really long. Even we've seen with Remco, Evan Paul, and the men's cycling side of things, like, his injury as well was really bad. And it's taken him a long time to come back. Um, I mean, the good thing is the next Olympics is only three years and she is young. So she wants to put it into the universe that she can win three gold at the next Olympics. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't not put money on. her. I think
0: when it comes to her and it comes to bouncing back emotionally from this Olympics, she's proven in the past that she is just like tough as nails and how she's going to, bounce back is she's just gonna double down and for some people that would maybe not be the best call for her i think that she's it's what she can do you know it's it's what her body wants to do is just double down and get even faster so good luck to everybody racing against her
3: well said
1: (laughs) on on the note of uh on the topic of racing I'm curious to see what her schedule will be for next year because she is on Canyon Shram. so mm. with three years to go quite often trackies um, at least like the Aussies that I know will will do a year or two on the road and go over to Europe and, and then focus the last two years on the games so um, I'm curious to see what they've got well, I'm even more that.
0: curious about if she does do the track again because she'd said after she'd said In a previous interview, I don't remember where it was. I think it was maybe when she signed for Canyon Sram that after this Olympics, she was going to step away from the track and only focus on the road. And now with the track having gone the way it did, I wonder if she will do the team pursuit again or not.
3: Well, she hasn't done really any racing in the Canyon Sram colors yet. So that'd be nice to see that. At least She's done one one race, <laughs> one race in her Canyon Sram skin suit. And
0: it was nationals. So no one really saw it. <laughs> um other track events, and then I think we can move on to Norway. Team sprint won by China, Germany second, Russia in third. Women's sprint. Kelsey Mitchell won this one. That was a pretty impressive win by the Canadian with Olena Stark start Starakova in second from Ukraine. I was pretty impressed just by the way that Kelsey Mitchell in all of the sprints that she did, she was super tactical. You don't it's, you have to be tactical, right? It's what two laps of the track, three laps of the track. And you're just kind of lined up uh, with each other, cat and mouse who can cross the line first. And she was really smart about how she played every single time. And, um, That was a huge win for Canada.
3: Yeah. Those track sprint events look so nerve wracking. I, I love watching them. I don't know a lot about track sprinting and all the riders, but I always enjoy the format and just watching the tactics and the mental strength that those riders have to, you know, hold their nerve right to the very end, not just the sprinting part, but the, the game
2: of it. Mm -hmm. The best is when they track stand, but are they not allowed to do that anymore? Or they are
1: that. they just can't do it for too long. I don't know. Possible. I mean uh, they can still do it, but I did see tweets passing by that people were yeah. disappointed that there weren't like those epic truck standoffs that you see, like right on the top of the banks. Was there nothing
2: in the Kieran and Rio when I can't remember her name, I think she was Dutch when like up on the barrier. Do you remember this? She was like, "Oh, (laughs) Oh, to avoid crash." She didn't even crash. That was sick skills. Couldn't be me. (laughs) Pivot
0: away from the track. Um, My number one takeaway was that we should all watch more track racing. Well, when it happens, because COVID has really thrown a wrench into the track program. But when it's back, um, I I think, yeah, we should talk more track. We should get more into it. What do you guys think? October, Worlds.
2: Notably not mm. in Turkmenistan anymore. Shout out yeah. to Ian. Mm. Uh,
1: Ian, what a legend. Who, who's taking it over now? Uh, I actually don't know. I thought the Netherlands had bid for it, but I'm not sure. We I'm I know that also little- um, Lithuania put in a bid,
0: and so did Scotland,
2: I think. Yeah, Glasgow. Potentially, yeah. yeah
1: so we could go to those. Ian oh yeah yeah i mean like the the great thing about track is you can just stream it um through youtube the uci they always have a live stream so it's accessible um and of course like with going back to watching track racing there's just not as many track races to watch tb with road um but you, can, oh, you so still it's don't announced. have oh, okay but if it's what... in
0: glasgow i'll go for sure that would be awesome
1: well, when the women's tour of Britain is it like after that? Yes. Good question. Hang on. Yes, Abby says yes. Look, she's. We can see her checking her her phone. <laughs> yeah, it's right after. There you go. That'd be sick, wouldn't it? Nice. There you go. Trip to the UK. <laughs>
3: Let's
2: go. <laughs> Do you like rain?
0: Okay, so moving on to. The ladies' tour of Norway coming up, but before we get there, this week's episode is brought to you by Vortex Wheels. Vortex aims to answer one of the oldest questions in cycling, stiffness, lightweight, or value. Choose two. Using innovations like replaceable carbon spokes laced to carbon aluminum hubs and highly optimized rims, they have delivered a range of wheels that start at just 1,060 grams in weight. That's insane. That's super light. The intelligent design and total system approach provide a wheel that has no compromise. To find out more about this innovative brand and whether it delivers on the third part of the question, head over to cycling100.com where you can find the very best Chinese cycling brands in the world. All right, so let's chat Ladies Tour of Norway, the next in the Women's World Tour calendar. The How crazy is it that it's only the second... Stage race in the women's world tour calendar in 2021. Like, we're halfway through August and we're only just now getting our second stage race of the year, world tour level.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Strange season, but that's what happens when we have it's the true. Olympics. I
0: actually am like pretty happy that the Olympics are behind us. I'm not going to lie. Just get back to normal uh, cycling stuff. But Yeah, it's we got three more years. I mean,
1: I I guess it's great we have, yeah, it is only three years. So if you did have a a disappointing Games as such, it's a little bit closer than before in a sense. But I think it's it's interesting to have Gracie on because um, Gracie raced here in 2016. And then how did you find actually coming back from the Olympics and then trying to finish off the season, whereas lots of other sports go straight into this big sort of off-season where they just, you know, um, for example, Nettie Edmondson is in Europe at the moment having a little rest, whereas the road cyclists, they were racing one week later.
3: Yeah, that's – I was going to launch into this anyway, so you've definitely read it well. Like for Norway, for example, like whoever – has raced the Olympics. I'd say it w- won't be racing very well for the next few weeks to maybe even the rest of the season. It just really puts you in a hole mentally and physically. You've peaked. Um, it's really hard to claw your way back. Not to say you can't. Um, there's plenty of top riders that you know have done well, like Mariana Voss winning the Olympic Games in 2012 and winning Worlds that year as well. Um, I'm sure there's plenty more examples. But for me personally. I was in a massive hole, um, definitely mental peak just because it's a huge high to come down from, definitely a physical peak too. I reckon I peaked even before the Games anyway, just trying to make selection. Um, and then that year, Lauren, you will remember we had the Worlds in Qatar mm. in 2016. So the season was extended by an extra three weeks, so by that stage, most of us Aussies are just dying to get back home and to kind of have to wait pretty much a whole extra month to finally get back to Australia. It was a huge drag and I really had to dig deep into my suitcase of courage and use all my tools to get through that season. And, you know, I was doing meditation and I was doing lots of self-care and literally just doing endurance rides all the time because I couldn't do any quality. I was just, my legs were useless. And by the time we got into our world's prep, I was really just hanging in there. I and I do feel sorry for any athletes that are having to go through that this season.
1: I um I distinctly remember it was actually a really nice thing that you did um after the Olympics at the the Ladies Tour of Holland. I probably just said that wrong. Mental blank. Um you can correct me with the correct name Abby, but um you you basically said in the first team meeting, I'm here to ride in support of all of you because Um, you'd had a huge year, um, with some amazing results. And then I think Spratty as well said that the both of you were just there to sort of give back to the other riders who, who have been riding in support at the start of the year. So, um, for me, that was really, really great. And I thought you still had really good legs there because you definitely helped me onto the podium and to have a really good tour. Oh, cool. That's nice. Thanks. I...
3: I remember, I do remember that too. I remember how hard it was. Yeah, it was. Um, but And I remember there was one hilly day that Spready and I just kind of scraped through but eventually got dropped. But, yeah, it was important to me to just keep showing up for races and supporting teammates because I knew the, the huge privilege that I'd had earlier in the year to do so well to just to make that Olympic team. And going into Worlds, we had, you know, Chloe Hosking as a favourite too and I really wanted to support her. So yeah, it's it's interesting how you can pivot that mindset. And that was what got me through was that it was team events. Mm-hmm. It was protein stuff and then it was world championships. So that was really the only reason why I was still there is because I still cared about the whole team. <laughs> Otherwise I would have been on my, on the plane home.
1: <laughs> yeah, I
3: wouldn't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple riders on the star line
0: of Norway who did race the Olympics. Uh, with some notable exceptions not on the start. Mariana Voss is not racing, um, which she's won this three years in a row now, 2017, 2018, and 2019. We didn't have a tour of Norway in 2020 due to COVID, so um, she's not here, but Anne Henderson is here for Jumbo Visma, and she just won Cresbrez. She won both stages and the overall at Cresbrez in Brittany, so... I've actually pegged her as a favorite for this race, uh, just like running through the start list real quick. Annemiek Van Vluten is lining up for Movistar and uh, Marlon Rusa for BTC Ljubljana. So a couple riders that were just at the Olympics, Corinne Rivera for DSM. I think she's a really good shout for this race, um, which we'll go over the stages in a second. Lucinda Brand and Elisa Longa-Borghini for Trek Segafredo, and Chloe Hosking is finally back on the start line after months and months and months and months. Uh, Her last race was in March. It's been a really long time since she's raced. The last race she did was OxyClean uh, Bruges de Pana, so that was a long time ago. She's really been struggling to come back from COVID, so really excited to see her on the start list. And then we've got... For FDJ, Nivella, Aquitaine, Futuriscope, Marta Cavalli, and Cicely Utrecht-Ludwig. So the two of them, both of them fresh off of the Olympics. They were 8th and 10th at the Olympics and are now back in their trade team. Trade team colors, Bike Exchange, have a small roster, only five. Jess Allen, uh, Lucy Kennedy is back to racing. She was pretty injured at the beginning of the year. Um, so she's been, this isn't her first race back, but definitely good to see her back on the start line. Canyon Sram with the Barnes sisters, Elise Shabby, who I think is going to be an interesting one to watch. They don't have cash and Iwadoma. And I think when it comes to that team, when they don't have cash, they race, um, a lot more openly. They kind of just throw whatever they've got at the race and see what sticks, um, rather than kind of holding it all in, all putting all their eggs in the cashier basket. Both ways are fine, but I do love it when they're just like chaos ensue. Uh, SD works. No Demi Vollering or Anna Vandabragan, but they do have Neve Fisher-Black and Anna Shackley, both of which will be really interesting on stage three, which we'll get to in a second. And Lonica Unikin, who's just incredible. She's the young rider who won the final stage of the Healthy Aging Tour in very impressive style. Uh, live Racing, Laudika Pecky's on the start list, but she is actually not racing. She, yeah, had a rough Olympics. And I was pretty surprised to see her on the start list of the race, but Live Racing will only be starting with five. So, My assumption is that she kind of pulled out last minute. What do you guys think of that start list? I mean, I think it sounds like it's going to be a pretty exciting race without Vanda and Demi Vollering. uh, The GC kind of, I mean, it's going to come down to stage three, which is a mountaintop finish. Stage one, stage two, sprint finishes. Stage two is actually looks really, really interesting. There is a like poppy climb right before the finish that could really break up the peloton and is a great launch launching point for any gutsy riders to try to make a move stage three it's an 11 kilometer long climb to the finish and pretty flat before then so that is kind of like a let's all hang out and go all out at the bottom of the climb type thing hopefully that's not how they race it but i mean with van vluten in the peloton she's kind of the rider to beat on that climb and then stage four is another flat potential sprint day so three sprint days one massive mountaintop finish what do we think
3: oh norway was always one of my favorite stage races super nice organization um good stages, lovely little towns, and Norway is just beautiful. Um, so they've done a great job to keep cultivating this tour over the years, and I can see that they're trying to mix it up this year with that big stage three. We haven't seen a climb like that in Norway yet. So I I guess they just want to, you know, shake it up and and provide something different, hopefully entice different kinds of riders probably people like Meek that haven't been for the last few years and she's also holding on to the women's world tour leaders jersey so i'd say that she's you know somewhat keen to keep that jersey for the rest of the season and this is just a nice way to keep getting
1: points without some of the other favorites there and would you go like going back to coming off the olympics um usually i would say That The races after the the Olympics, Annemiek proved me wrong when she won um, San Sebastian, but um, would suit the riders who have had to sort of sit home in a sense because they're itching to race again and they're fresh, whereas quite often, yeah, well, we see a lot of the riders just aren't lining up from the Olympics. But I think if you win gold at the Olympics, you probably, like Annemiek, still has a lot of motivation. So, yeah, I agree with you there. Annemiek's... Anamik's on
3: a high and she's a bit of an outlier in all senses. Um, so she really peaked for the Olympics and she tracked slowly up to that, whereas a lot of athletes, you know, had great seasons leading up to the Olympics and, and some performed at the Olympics and some didn't. I think Anna Meek's still going to hold her peak for a little while longer, plus she's, you know, she's happy and she's on that high. And she just loves to keep proving a point, I mm. guess. She likes to, you know, be seen as this really non-stereotypical athlete and she yeah I think this is just another way for her to kind of show how unique she is I guess is a simple way to put it but I think this is a great opportunity for everyone else like I'd love to see Corinne Rivera keep building on her confidence in the sprints like we saw in the Giro but I think the Olympic experience probably took a toll on her and, and riders like her. So it would be interesting to see who bounces back and who doesn't, but yeah, for anyone that didn't get to go to the Olympics that has been doing training camps for the last couple of months and waiting for their turn, this is going to be really interesting racing. I think. Yeah, definitely.
0: I think with the way that the stages are laid out, we, are potentially going to see the jersey change hands three times for, well, for stage one, whoever wins (laughs) it that day. Stage two, I think it's going to change. Stage three, I think it's going to change, which is really awesome. That's kind of what we want to see, right? We we didn't see that at the Giro, um, but we did see that at Vuelta a Burgos. The jersey changed hands every day. So it's going to be really exciting to see kind of who steps up i think corinne has a really good shot at that first stage definitely um and she you know she came i think she came out of the olympics with um with a pretty good attitude considering that she maybe didn't have the result that she wanted and i think a lot of other riders are going to go into you know cecily utrip ludwig going into this race she's probably got a lot of motivation based on how how the Olympics went for her I mean she just had we talked about it in our Olympic pod but she only had one teammate and then one that one teammate crashed out Emma Norsgaard so she was all by herself and what can you do when you're all by yourself and there's a break up the road by 10 minutes you know there was not much she could do so it's not that she had bad legs at the Olympics there was literally nothing she could do so going into a race like Norway I think she would be really really motivated to get that win and she's had a lot of success at at welta Burgos and so i think her mindset going into a race like norway would be pretty positive
3: yeah I definitely would like i'd agree with that um it's it's a mindset thing of how you come out of big events But that being said, sometimes you can still have a good mindset but your body doesn't want to play. So there's no right or wrong way to come out of the games and we shouldn't, I'm not saying that we are, but we should make sure as general spectators and fans not to judge people of how they come out of the games, whether they performed or not because everyone has their own unique experience and everyone has their own unique reaction to big things like Take me, for example, I knew I was never going to win an Olympic Games. I had an amazing experience. I was really proud of myself and how I did it. And I was still in a big hole. So, you know, you see gold medalists struggle. You see people that weren't ever going to get a medal struggle. You see people bounce back and, and come and prove themselves and, and make the most of their peak. And some people can and some people can't. So, yeah, certainly making sure that we don't have any judgment on, on these people that have on
0: something big yeah absolutely i mean you come out of the games you come out of any big event and if you've been training for it for literally years especially for this games your body when the race is over your body's just like deep breath <laughs> let it go like and and sometimes yeah your body just is like yeah no i'm done uh it's been a real stressful last two years and i am done so you have no control over that, and I think it's a good point, Gracie. We really don't – these athletes are under so much pressure, and there's been so much talk about uh, about mental health and everything over these games in particular, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they were postponed and they were a lot more stressful than games have been in the past, which are – it's already the – you know, we always say the pinnacle of sport. So it's just such, such a stressful event for every athlete involved. And for these games to have been postponed for a year, there's been a lot of talk of mental health and it's um, the post Olympic come down is really, really, really hard for some athletes. And I mean, I do have a lot of respect for the athletes that just jump right back on the horse and start racing again, even if it's not, like like you like you did gracie jump back on race for your teammates it's not all about winning and it's about being there for the people that were there for you before but it's also yeah i think i have a lot of respect also for people like anna vander who may, did not have the games that she was hoping for and is now taking a break i think that that's that's also a very valid uh response to you know the games
3: yeah, definitely. I think everyone just needs to get, <laughs> get do through their own it. thing and yeah. and look after themselves. So it is cool to see someone like Anna Vanderbreggen taking a break, and it's cool to see someone like Anna Meek going out and keeping on smashing it. So yeah, <laughs> you know, we just have to yeah be mindful of of the language you, we use around these type of previews and and predictions, and yeah, just make sure that the athletes are are
0: okay (laughs) we can talk about one thing that is very very exciting about the tour of norway and that is that they're going to be multiple hours of live coverage Mm
1: -hmm.
3: yeah they've they've definitely been great in years past with you know getting a a base level of coverage and improving on that every year so that's just another reason why this is one of the best tours of the year so kudos to them and really excited to see how it evolves for the battle of the north next year
0: yeah, we absolutely love the Battle of the North on this podcast and we're really, really excited for that next year. So this will be the last year of the ladies' tour of Norway before they become the Battle of the North. But they've definitely kind of the way that they've conducted themselves with the tour of Norway and the live coverage in the past and especially the live coverage this year, which is, you know, two and a half hours every single stage, um, is really, really exciting for, for this race in the future and the reason that we've been amping it up so much for the last two years. And, I mean, I don't know. I'm really excited to watch to watch Tour of Norway. I think this is a great way to kind of get back. It doesn't feel like San Sebastian happened, but I also didn't watch it because I was getting married. So <laughs> it feels for me like a really exciting way to kind of get back into racing after... I feel like spectators also have, like, a post-Olympic come down. <laughs> Like, you got to kind of reassess.
3: And, uh yeah. So Yeah, I've watched a lot of TV in the last few months. And <laughs> I'm probably going to keep watching a lot of TV in the next few months. So, probably needed a break, too. <laughs> but getting married is a valid excuse. Although, Lauren did come on the, the podcast straight after having a so
0: <laughs> It's know. really
3: no excuse. Because, yeah,
0: Lauren had a baby <laughs> and came on the podcast a couple days
1: later. <laughs> okay. I, I think... I do want to... Sh- I think I've taken the... I've definitely win the most amount of TV watching. I'm so over TV. But the the fact the Olympics is over now, I just don't know what to do with myself because, yeah, anyone who has had a newborn knows that quite often you're stuck to the couch. It's kind of like if you're breastfeeding, you're on the baby's clock. And when the Olympics was on, there was, like, so much to watch. And because sports are puts on the replays, the whole day it was just, like, Olympics. I watched so many different sports like I've never watched so many sports in my life I watched my first hockey game that was amazing Belgium versus Australia that was it a good was, one
3: you you managed to pick a good yeah, one to yeah watch.
0: it was brilliant did you watch Canada versus Sweden soccer because that was or football because that was pretty amazing yeah yeah that
1: was a highlight
0: for me for the games for sure yeah all of all of the sports love it <laughs> anyway we're at an hour so we should probably wrap up this podcast but we will be back shortly to talk about more tour of norway and what happens there so just really quick before we end the podcast we've talked a bit about mental health and about that post-olympic come down for athletes and how hard that is and we on monday lost another athlete, um, Olivia Podmore from New Zealand who competed in the Rio Olympics passed away on Monday. And, um, it's, we, yeah, not a ton to say, but our condolences to New Zealand cycling, to anyone who knew her and to her family and friends, um, above all, and we we want to mention her because from everything that I've read, everything that I've seen, um, she was one of those people that it, it enters the room and makes everyone smile, one of those incredible, incredible few. and really devastating to see that that she is no longer with us. So, yeah,
3: it's it's really a huge blow to the whole cycling community. Um, and also, you know, it's a great, it, it's an unfortunate way, but a great way to get the message out of you're not alone if you're feeling bad. And, you know, athletes uh, are not immune to poor mental health and the challenges that come with pressure, with big events, even small events. Um, even being locked down at home. So um, there's certainly a lot of services in Australia, in America, in Europe, um, in Australia, calling Lifeline or even uh, reading through the uh, athlete wellness um, resources on the AIS website or through our different federations in different sports, reaching
1: out to family and friends.
3: It's really important
1: to, to talk. And I think going back to what you were talking about earlier, not making assumptions or judgments of athletes based on performances or we were just talking about coming off the games because, you know, in this world of social media too, we're just as human beings, not just athletes, just exposed to so much more um, criticism and just I don't know what the word is, but just even Abby as a journalist putting out your opinions there. We just more, someone help me find the words here. Yeah. Social media has been a a beautiful way, especially for female
3: sports, to have a platform to engage and to build our profiles, but it certainly comes at a cost. Uh, There is more pressure to be more public. Um, So the pressures that come with social media, the pressures that come with making big teams now is the time to reach out to your favourite athletes, whether they were at the Games, whether they won a medal or whether they weren't selected for the Games, whether you just respect local riders, if you respect local sports people, national sports people, international sports people. A lot of people are in quarantine now following the Games and, you know, one of the lows that comes with the Games is... You're know, you getting all these messages at the games or before and then then after you get nothing. So that's also a come down of not having the attention anymore. So now's the perfect time to say, hey, I really respect you as an athlete or I thought you performed so well and I'm a huge fan and you're a great role model. Those kind of messages are super important. So that would be my advice to anyone listening. That's beautifully said, Gracie.
0: Yeah, agreed. If we've learned anything from this game's um, and from Simone Biles, ath- athletes are just humans too. And it's an absolutely brutal lifestyle that athletes endure. Um, and especially for the games, for those that go and for those that, that don't go as well, the build up for it is really, really hard on, on them, on their loved ones, um, on everyone around them. And then for an athlete watching the games from home, um, it's it's also, you know, not, not an easy thing. So, I mean, Olivia was only 24, um, which is a really rough thing to stomach. And, yeah, like Gracie said, um, there are many, many outlets to reach out to if you're struggling. Um, normal people, athletes, humans, human beings, if you're struggling, there's a lot of outlets for you out there and I will throw them in the show notes for this episode as well. So you can scroll down and they're, they'll be right there for you. And on that note, we will end this episode and we'll be back later this week to talk about the tour of Norway so thank you everybody for listening to the freewheeling podcast and thanks to you two
3: for joining me and thanks to Amy yeah. well you three yeah. <laughs>
0: four and Amy
3: <laughs> thanks little guy <laughs>